Hi there, and welcome to the Wayback Music Machine podcast. I'm Tony Stewart. I'm Aaron Badgley. And we're traveling in our virtual van on the Rock and Roll Highway, taking a look at the week that was in rock and roll history. But Aaron, the highway is very busy today. What's going on? I don't know. It's like it's just jammed bumper to bumper to bumper. What? I mean, no, listen, in all the 55 trips we've been on, it's never been like this. Never. No, it's crazy. So um, I think we need to go to Brighton on May the 31st, 2003, and figure out what's going on. Let's hit the road, shall I'm we? In, we got to figure this out. Absolutely. So we'll be right back. So we're in this lovely part of the world, Tony, um, Brighton, and there's something that is distracting people, and um, not, this is an odd one, but it's a painting, a painting of someone very famous wearing very gold hot pants. Um, you want to pick it up from here? <laughs> yeah, this is one of those stories <laughs> that... Uh... You're, you're, I'm, I'm turning it over to you, my friend. <laughs> This is one of those uh, human stories that uh, when I was researching, I thought, we've got to talk about this. I love these stories. You know, it's like the one where the guy put up his own radio station. Or So Brighton is not exactly metropolitan England, and uh, they're having major traffic delays because there is a painting, a life-size painting, I should add, of Kylie Minogue wearing her gold lame hot pants and it is causing motorists to slow down and in some cases causing accidents and the residents of brighton and, and, are, and a few divorces oh yes exactly <laughs> and the residents of brighton are none too happy about it and i've got the story here and it was an artist who uh, decided he was going to do this so he made a pop star a, a, a painting of kylie minogue wearing her gold hot pants and he decided you know, he was just a uh, Kylie fan, and he, his name is Simon Etheridge, and it caused quite the stir. So Kylie Minogue's hot pants is what has been snarling traffic here. Okay, so we're, <laughs> you know, you make that kind of statement, and I'm, I'm thinking more. I think it snarled more than traffic. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm going to get in trouble. No. Um, it's unbelievable, right? I mean, uh, it, it's a it's a painting. I mean, you could come back and take a picture of it later if you wanted to. But people were like, I guess they were just literally stop and go, right? Well, it's exactly. You know, it reminded me in Ottawa. Now, you uh, spent some time in Ottawa. So do you remember, you know, the Westboro area? Do you know it very well? Very well, yeah. Okay. Do you remember where Moe's Newport, world-famous Newport restaurant used to be? That Absolutely, corner? yes. Churchill yeah. and Richmond. So years ago... A Lululemon store opened there, and they had the uh, yoga slash aerobics thing going on right in the window, and it caused a lot of traffic uh, snarls, as we say. <laughs> and I remember that very clearly. There were a ton of accidents at that intersection. I guess people just getting distracted, right? Yeah, and a few rear collisions, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Let me ask you an opinion. What, okay, besides the, the picture in Hoppence, what's your opinion of Miss um, Kylie? So you're going to hear me say this a lot about some of these pop musicians is great voice, I'm sure, but her material lets her down. It just doesn't showcase her voice as well as I think it should. And, I, and I've said that about a few of these other pop stars as well. But what do you think? 
Well, well, I agree, and I think it's it's um, it's what I call harmless fluff, right? But exactly, then she would do something. But she did she did a great song with Nick Cave, and and that's what I think you're talking about is when she did the song with Nick Cave, her vocals were so brilliant. And you think, man, if she was working with a different management team or producer, she has a good. Like she has a great voice, and I think more recently she's kind of switched to the kind of the oldie stuff, right? Like she's kind of doing more American Songbook. Maybe I think I was I was reading about her, anyways. Uh, that wouldn't surprise me at all. A lot of these artists turn to the to the Great American Songbook, and uh, it'd, it'd be very interesting to hear what she can do with those. I remember when um, uh, what's the uh, Carly Simon? Do you remember when she did her takes on the Great American uh, Songbook? underrated remarkably underrated i thought she was amazing doing because first of all she's a great writer right i mean carly simon is an amazing composer but when she took on the american songbook i thought her voice just was beautiful for it right well absolutely and i think you know maybe kylie minogue would do a good job on that as well and here is a prediction i will bet that the outfit that she would wear when doing the great american songbook probably wouldn't stop traffic the same way that hot pants do (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm just wondering if they've never seen anyone in hot pants in Brighton, because you know it's a it's a it's a holiday resort. You would think they would be used to that, right? I, no, exactly. But apparently not. Not Kylie, and but anyways, but she's um she's from Australia, right? Yeah, yes, she is. Yeah, but she's is she based in England now, or does she stay in Australia? Do you know? You know what? I don't know a lot about uh, Kylie's career, to be honest. I was never I never really followed her musically at all. I think the only song that comes to mind that I remember being a hit over here was her take on The Locomotion. Oh, right, right. Which, yeah, that was a pretty which, big um, It was huge. And it was it was an okay... I mean, look, all they did was take the original Locomotion and put a, a high-energy dance beat to it, in my opinion, anyways. It wasn't revolutionary or anything like that. But I go, I, I'm going to agree with what you said earlier on, Tony. She has a great, great voice. And I think every time I've seen her interviewed, she seems like a, a lovely person and, and uh, uh, just not uh, someone who's been under my radar, I guess you could say. You know, I don't really follow that kind of pop stream too much. But, no, you know, me, I'm also an old guy, right? So, Well, I don't either. But, uh, you know, while we're cruising around, I was going to bring this up because I'm not sure if all of our listeners are aware of this. But, uh, you know, we always have music going on on the 8-track player here in the Wayback Music Machine. And you do up a playlist every week of all the stuff that we listen to while we're cruising the rock and roll highway. Why don't you tell us about that? Well, unlike 8-tracks, I don't cut the song in half. Um, for those of you who remember 8-tracks, they used to have to fit to a certain program like when, like Freebird is the one that comes to mind. Just during the guitar solo, it would fade out and then fade back up again. It was kind of crazy. Um, yeah, well, you know what? I put together this Spotify playlist, and, and it's it's the music we talk about, it's the charts we talk about, it's the artists. And I recommend, you know, when you listen to the podcast, if you could just switch over to Spotify if you have it. And they're all numbered, episode 56, 55, 54. And, I, I mean, I think you enjoy them, don't you, Tony? Yeah, I love them. It's always interesting to see what's on there, and there's always such a, a nice mix of tunes as well because we cover a lot of ground on this show. And this week, because I went international with the charts, there's some really cool music on. So just just a heads up that you're going to hear some really different music this week, and it's all good. Like it's nothing, nothing. It's 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 wonderful. It's just you may not have heard it before, right? No, exactly. Now, and speaking of the charts, you picked the top five Australian singles for this week in 2003. So what were the Aussies listening to? 
Well, you know, given that she's Australian, I thought we should pay tribute to the land down under. And by the way, I saw Ringo on the weekend, and he had Colin Hay with him, and he did a great version of uh, Down Under. So it was a great song. So the top five singles in Australia on this time, this day in 2003, was Stacey Oracle with Stuck. I never heard of her before. She's a lot like Kylie Minogue or Minogue. I can say Minogue sometimes. I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, number four, Snoop Dogg featuring Pharrell Williams and Beautiful. Three, Justin Timberlake and Rock Your Body. Did you read that Justin Timberlake just sold his music catalog? Oh, no, I didn't read that. I was shocked. He got he actually got $100 million. I mean, really? Wow. I, I, didn't, I just didn't think his stuff was worth $100, never mind $100 million. But That surprised me. But he did sell it. Um, he just sold it. It was on the news. Um, number two. 50 Cent in the club. And number one, Evan Seen featuring Paul McCoy and Bring Me to Life, which is probably the one song I know very well on the top five. Yeah, I'm not all that familiar <laughs> with that top five either. <laughs> um, check it out, though. I put it on the playlist. And it's, it's actually some of it's very good. So you enjoy it. All right. And now uh, we're going to stay on May 31st, but we're going to head back to 1966. So we'll be right back. We seem to be stopping in L.A. quite a bit uh, on this show, and today is no different. We're here in sunny Los Angeles, and boy, is it ever hot. It is May the 31st, 1966, and this story revolves around a classic TV show. And this was the first day of filming on The Monkees' first TV series. And uh, what a show that was. A lot of fond memories from watching those guys. Well, you know... It's one of those things where, you know, it was a great TV show, but equally great was the music. I, I'm going to be, I'm gonna, full disclosure, everybody, I really, really love the Monkees. Yeah, me too. And uh, like you say, they the combination, right, it was obviously, obviously modeled after the Beatles, but uh, even right down to the four different identities of the uh, members of the band. But yeah, they were good and they had some really great tunes and, and they were... Uh, they had just finished doing their single last train to Clarksville. Right. And, and then the show came out right after that. The show came out for the first time on September 12th, 1966. But on this day, May the 31st is when they started filming in Los Angeles. And what was genius was they put the single out first, a lot of hype. So they already had a number one single when the TV show debuted. So it was a kind of a guaranteed hit TV show, right? Because all these kids were buying this. And I, Last Train to Clarksville, for the record, the writers who wrote the song said they, they based it on Paperback Writer, which at that time, May 66 or earlier, was a huge hit for the Beatles. And they, they if you listen to Last Train to Clarksville, the guitar riff is is almost a duplicate of a paperback writer, um, and we all know that. That you're right. I mean, you have Peter the silly one, Mike the smart one, like John. You have Davy the cute one, who's Paul, I guess, and you have Mickey, who I guess he was the drummer, like Ringo, right? I mean, it just it was they had very distinct. I mean, they were nothing like they portrayed on TV, obviously, but but um, it was funny because they actually pitched the show in '62, um, but it didn't get the green light as they say until 65 and tony i'm going to be controversial for a moment okay okay everyone says it's based on the beatles hard day's night and i say it's based on help 
if you compare the if you watch the help movie there's a lot more silliness in it than in a hard day's night actually I'd have, I to, think, I'd have to agree with you on that yeah right it, it's more help than it is a hard day's night in my opinion now do you have a preference between those two since we're on that topic do you uh, do you have one that you like better hard day's night or help well you know i'm, I'm gonna say help and here's here's the reason why it was the first beetle movie i ever saw oh and okay okay it really stuck with me but but if i was to kind of compare the two as an adult i'd say a hard day's night is better but there's some moments that and help you know that just to this day will crack me up you know where they're where they're you know in slow motion trying to turn off that machine and the, the whole curling scene just makes me laugh every single time right but how about you what's your what's your preference well i saw uh, the first one i saw was hard day's night so i'm gonna actually go with that one but uh, and it's a great film period oh it's it's in the top what 100 american film institute films of all time it, it's it's a classic there's no question about that you know who's that who's that little old man yes 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 that whole joke that runs on oh, the whole movie He's, he's very and, clean. And you, yeah, <laughs> he's very clean. And at the very end, when, when he says to John, "But at least I'm very clean," and Lennon goes, "Are you?" <laughs> of course, John. But now, here's my question. I think we've talked about this, and I know, yeah, we have. You saw the movie Head. The monkeys made the movie Head, right? Yes, and that is the <laughs> oddest, the oddest choice ever. I I, I don't understand. Well, first of all, I don't understand the movie. I'll, I'll be right up front. But I, I also don't understand their their decision to do it. Do you? I think they wanted to torpedo their teen base. I think they wanted to become... I mean, by this point, they were, they were actually playing their own instruments on their albums. And I think they wanted to get to a grown-up audience. And I believe I told you this story, but it's worth repeating. When I, when I saw Mickey Dolan's and Mike Nesbeth a couple of years back... They were going to do a song from Head called Circle Sky. And Mickey Dolan says, this is from a, a movie we did called Head. Has anyone seen it? And, of course, people are applauding and whooping it up. And he goes, that's great. Can you explain it to me? <laughs> well, that's exactly. I, it, uh, I don't know who that movie would appeal to. It is just so out there. And um, okay, here, have, you seen the, have you ever seen the TV commercials for the film? Yes. <laughs> like just check them out folks if you look on youtube you'll you'll see them it is it's just so out there did you think they were trying to torpedo their career seriously like did, did you get that sense uh, yeah, now that you're mentioning that you know that would make sense maybe that they were just trying to it's like something you would do to get out of a, a contract right oh yeah it was and it's i mean there's some good scenes in it and there's and, and quite frankly the music is some of the best stuff there like uh the porpoise song at the very beginning, which is kind of their strawberry fields forever, is a, written by Carol King. Great song, but it wasn't a hit by any stretch. But it's a great song nonetheless. Now you know, and and we always talk about, of course, the comparisons with the Beatles. And the Beatles actually uh, were fans of the Monkees, which I thought was uh, very cool. Well, in fact, in '67, the Beatles invited them. Well, they were in England touring, and the Beatles invited them to the recording of some of Sgt. Pepper. And if you watch the film, and when they're recording A Day in the Life, you can see Mike Nesbeth and Mickey Dolenz. And in fact, the Beatles threw a big lavish party, which Mickey Dolenz wrote a song about. Um, now, over here, it's called Randy Scouse Git, which stands like Randy means kind of you know really 
and well, horny, uh, and Scouse is Liverpool, and Git is an idiot. The song had to change their title in England, so it became alternative title in England. Number one hit. There's a line in the song, the four kings of VMI are sitting stately on the floor. Well, that's the Beatles. And yeah. then you thought something about George Harrison, right? Yeah, and uh, well, George Harrison uh, thought that they they were uh, onto something when they tried to you know, they, they finally said, we're playing our own instruments here because they had to fake everything and it was all studio musicians doing it, right? And I can imagine how frustrating that must have been because, yeah, at first they'd signed up for the show and it was all kind of tongue-in-cheek, but when you are musicians, like, you want to do your own stuff, right? And, there, and Nesmith and Peter Tork were bona fide musicians. And in fact, if you, I mean, I've talked about Michael Nesmith's solo career, but... Peter Tork formed a band in the, I guess, the 1990s and 2000s called Blue, what's it called? Blue Suede, Blue Shoe Suede, or I can't remember the name. It's kind of a take up on Blue Suede Shoes. And it's really good blues. That's a fantastic, Shoe, shoe Suede Blues, that's what it was. And the, well worth looking up, guys. It's, it's a good gram. Maybe I'll put some songs on the playlist because they're, they're, they'll be surprised how good Tork could play. Well, and your, your Harrison quote here, right? I'll just read that off. It's obvious what's happening. There's talent there. They're doing a TV show. It's a difficult chore, and I wouldn't want to be in their shoes for the world. When they get it all sorted out, they might turn out to be the best. You know, So there was some uh, respect there, and, and that's pretty high praise from a guy like George Harrison. Well, yeah, and in fact, Peter Tork plays on Harrison's first ever solo album. How about that? He plays a banjo. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's uh, well, you know what? I'm going to ring the bell for that one. That's well worth it. <laughs> We haven't done that yet today, so. No, we have, we should, you know, the bell is, I think the bell is becoming as popular as you and me. <laughs> well, that's right. When's the bell? When's the bell? When's the bell? We keep waiting for the bell. <laughs> now, I see you're going international here with the charts, so you uh, you all of a sudden are moving over to Ireland, and, and what do you have for us? I went to Ireland, and I'd and I like to give you a reason, except I just thought it was interesting, because I did the Australian Top 5 Singles, and then I thought, well, let's do the Top 5 Singles in good old Ireland in, in 1966, in May of 1966. And all but one are Irish. Um, so number one, number five is a, my favorite, my favorite share <laughs> song. I love this song. I do. Do you like it? Yeah, yeah. It is a good song. It's, it's great. Uh, bang, bang. <laughs> now, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that uh, she's the only one in the charts not from Ireland. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Putting myself and, out there. <laughs> okay, you're going to take a risk on that one, are you? <laughs> um, did you know there's a new version of the song, Bang, Bang? There's a group called Sultans of String here in Canada. They're quite good. They do like jazzy but they did a great version of Bang Bang on their new album. Number four is a group called Go Lucky Four and a very pro IRA song called Upwit Nelson. Number three, Johnny Flynn's show band. He takes the uh, baton from the pro IRA and goes with Black and Tan Gun. Wow. Number two is this, <laughs> this is a sort of such a weird song, Brendan Boyer and The Fly. And number one is a beautiful, beautiful song by the Mighty Avons called Among the Wicklow Hills. So I, I'm i going to go on the limb here and say, Tony, you probably haven't heard all of those songs. No, I haven't. The share one, but I haven't heard the other four. <laughs> I think you'll enjoy them. I, I, especially, I think you'll like Mighty Avons. Hey, everyone, just give it a chance. Give, give, the, give the Spotify a playlist a, a chance, and it's, it's, a, it's a fun playlist. Enjoy. 
All right, and now we're going to uh, jump ahead uh, almost a week. We're going to go to June 4th, and we're going way back today. We're going to go back to 1942. And even though this is generally a rock and roll history show, the events of June 4th, 1942, just had a, a profound effect on all the music that came afterwards. So let's head back and see just what was going on. And here we are. It's June 4th, 1942. We're still in Los Angeles, and some things never change. You know, palm trees everywhere. But this is a big day because this was the launch, the official launch of Capitol Records in the U.S. And as we mentioned before the break, I mean, this had a momentous impact on rock and roll history. And why don't you go over some of the artists who ended up signing with Capitol? Well, Capitol Records, uh, you know, which was actually, it was started by a guy named Glenn Wallach, but with in conjunction with a musician named, or musician writer by the name of Johnny Mercer. So let's listen who was signed to Capitol Records. Yeah, Frank Sinatra, the, the Beatles, the Beach Boys, Eddie Cochran, one of my favorites, Bobby Darin, Dean Martin, Glenn Campbell, Steve Miller, Bob Seger, Bob Seger Tina Turner, Hart, Steve Miller, uh, Klaatu, just to throw in some CanCon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Lots of people were signed to Capitol Records. Linda Ronstadt. I mean, it, it was it was uh, they were a huge, huge label, right? Yeah, and and it's funny because the story behind this, right? Johnny Mercer, uh, which I'm a Johnny Mercer fan. Do you like Johnny's music? Okay, one of my biggest thrills was touring his house oh. in Savannah, Georgia. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Johnny Mercer. Uh, he. Johnny Mercer and and uh, Hoagie Carmichael are my two of my favorite writers from that era. Yeah, yeah, Hoagie Carmichael was awesome too. Yep. So this is a great story. This is one of those, you know, playing a round of golf. Uh, he's playing with Harold Arlen and Bobby Sherwood. And hey, you know, I kind of would like to start a record company, some golf chat while they're they're uh, playing the back nine and and discussions continued and they. Uh, teamed up with Wallach and the rest is history right but what a what a momentous occasion Capitol Records but you make a note too uh, and I thought this was really interesting and we need to point this out because Wallach's was the first guy in in records in the music industry who actually would send free copies of the records to the radio stations now before him if a radio station wanted to play, you know, Bing Crosby or Harry James or whoever they were playing, they had to buy them from the record company. But he said, you know what, I'm going to send them out free and, and, and that's going to get airtime for these artists. And obviously it worked because they're still doing it to this day. Well, like, and can you believe that? Doesn't that seem obvious? Like, I, I, <laughs> like if you want to get your artists airplay, just send the, send the records over. I, I'm amazed by that fact. I didn't realize that they didn't do that before then. <laughs> I like the. It is obvious, Tony. I think you're 100. percent it, it blows me away that it took to what year was this? 1942. Yeah. To figure out, to figure out. Hey, I got an idea. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? I'm thinking. <laughs> it's just one of um, those. Like, why did it take so long? But uh, the Canadian uh, version of Capitol Records was established in 1949, and they got acquired by EMI later on, didn't they? 
1954. And, and in fact, Capitol's printing, where they used to make, manu, actually manufacture their records, is in Smith Falls. Well, it was in Smith Falls, out in your neck of the woods. Yeah, um, that's only and, 20 minutes from here. Yeah. Yeah, well, that was where the original Capitol factory that that was used by RCA and Capitol Records, and they used to, and that's where there's actually a book about all the Beatle records that were manufactured there, right? So um, it's kind of cool. I've I've gone there just to. It's now obviously closed now, but I I used to go there and pay homage to it. I was in Smith Falls. Do they? I wonder. Do they still have? Uh, like, is there a little museum or something dedicated to that? Or yeah, uh, it's it's. A, I forget what kind of factory it is now, but there. If you walk into the lobby, there's a little, not very big, but it shows pictures of the manufacturing plant, and some of the records being manufactured, and and all those kinds of things. So it's kind of cool to go in, and and they let you go in. It's fine. People can go in, and you know, it's like going to the Capitol Records building in L.A. Where you know, I and 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 folks, this building in L.A. is one of the most unique built. I think it was the first office building built in the round if i'm not mistaken yeah i believe um, so we can't talk about capital without talking about that building i'm glad you segued into that because it's really cool i learned how to segue from you tony <laughs> <laughs> you taught me everything i know about segue but it's huge but it's also if you look at it it, it looks like a stack of records on a phone like a, back in the old did you ever do this tony did you ever stack up a bunch of 45s and let them play like that or are you too young for that no i remember doing that yeah so that's what it's designed as is it's a stack of records 78s actually and and that would just drop down and play um and it's oddly 13 stories but it's earthquake resistant hmm we'll test that soon enough um but and it has a studio in it right where mccarty's recorded frank sinatra recorded in that studio everybody who's anybody recorded in that studio right well, you're you're right, and I'll bet you know for most people when they see the the photograph of the building, they'll be like, "Oh yeah, I know that building. It's it's iconic." Well, and to go there in person, to because you see it in books and magazines, and you think, "Okay," but it's huge, and it's right on um, Hollywood Boulevard, Sunset in Hollywood, and you know they don't let you go in very far because <laughs> I was I was just kind of walking in. The guys, what are you doing? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> just looking. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Why can I not come in? But um, it, it's pretty cool. It's very cool, and and uh, I think it's also worth mentioning that you know the first Capitol Records album was done by Johnny Mercer. Um, so he put out the first album on the label uh, called uh, Capitol Presents Songs by Johnny Mercer, and uh, from that point on, Capitol and they just had a long list of of um, of very cool artists, and they took some chances and. Uh, I, I, you go through your collection and you'll see Capitol Records popping up here and there. I guarantee it. Like I've even, um, well, Pink Floyd was on Harvest, but that was through Capitol here in Canada. So there's a lot of Capitol Records in, in my collection. Let me tell you. Yeah. Now your charts were in 1942. So this is the height of the big band era. And, and of course, no surprise who's on this top five list. And you picked what? The top five uh, U.S. Uh, national charts, right? You on U.S. Billboard? <laughs> Yeah, because it, if you look at, you know, and I, as I said, I, I, I get lost in these magazines because they're online. You can go to this place online and look at all these old magazines. And back in 42, they actually used to break it up to the West Coast and East Coast, what was selling in both coasts. And they're quite often very different, which is, I don't think should surprise anybody. Um, and I think, if you, I think if they'd done North and South, it would have been even more interesting. However, mm-hmm. there was also the national charts. What they did was they combined all the sales across the country 
They also included, and this is kind of cool, Tony, the amount of jukebox play. So here we go. Number five, Benny Goodman. Somebody else has taken my place. Number four, Harry James. I don't want to walk without you. Number three, Jimmy Dorsey. A song I love. <laughs> I don't even know why I know this song, but I love the song Tangerine. Do you know it? Oh, I know all these songs. I'm a, I love that era of music. Yeah. Oh, you know, okay. I got to taste them before I forget. I'll do the top five. Number two, Benny Goodman, Jersey Bounce. And number one, Glenn Miller, Moonlight Cocktail. I have to tell you, Tony, I was in a value village on Friday um, at work. So I went for lunch. I went for a walk. I bought two four CD box sets, a dollar each oh, wow. of the Verve history of the Verve label. And they, and it's all old jazz on Verve, like uh, Billy Oh, Holiday. my goodness. Wow. I, so I thought of you instantly. I thought, you know what? I'll give one to my good friend, Tony, and I'll keep one. Because it's like it's got everything under the sun. And oh, I my just goodness. Well, thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. Well, yeah. That, that's fantastic. So 1942 was a bit of a big band era, right? Oh, yeah. Benny Goodman was king. And, uh, you know, I, I'm a big, big fan of Benny Goodman. Well, of course, because I'm a clarinet player, right? But uh, he was he was a pioneer and he was also uh, a lot of people don't know this one of the first band leaders to integrate and uh, he took a lot of uh, flack for that but he really stood up for his players and so uh, a tremendous amount of admiration for him for that as well yeah it's a shame that he doesn't get recognized for that these days you know because that's that should be something that should be applauded you know but yeah and he was a real taskmaster too boy Uh, he worked his bands hard and and uh, tremendous technician wow like i've i've played some benny goodman transcriptions and it's unbelievable yes but was he like buddy rich (laughs) well you know he wasn't like buddy rich thankfully he was a little more even tempered than that (laughs) (laughs) but you i mean as you play clarinet i mean would you rank him as one of the best and most innovative oh absolutely him of that era it's uh you know one a one b uh benny goodman and Artie shaw i mean both incredible players Mm-hmm. Hard shop. Well, you know what? You could do worse than by listening to the Spotify playlist, everybody, because that's all on there. So enjoy. Oh, that'll enjoy. be fantastic. Now, listen, Aaron, it is, uh, uh, where did the time go? Because we just basically finished the road trip and it's time for our uh, Memphis to Merseyside moment. Yay. <laughs> a great segment. It is. Well, you know what? Once the traffic broke up because no one was stopping for the Capitol Records building, um, we got, we got, we sailed through the traffic. Most exactly. So let's jump to June 3rd, 1964. And we've got a great story here about uh, Ringo Starr. So we'll be right back. So this is a great segment for us to do because you just saw Ringo. And uh, in 1964, something interesting happened. Uh, Ringo... uh, Hard to believe he's 82, by the way, isn't it? Or almost 82. Okay, and and I got to tell you, Tony, for the record, he was dancing. At one point, he was like jumping up and down on the spot. He played drums and sang at the same time. He was drumming for like he he drummed for Edgar Winter and 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 Toto and mm-hmm. there was another drummer on stage, of course. But it was he was amazing, and I think 82, 80. Well, he'll be 82 in July. I, he put me to shame. Okay. I thought, wow, does he do it? And he looks amazing, and he he just looks fantastic, and his voice, strong as ever. Now, unfortunately, though, on June 3rd, 1964, he was uh, not 
doing so well. He took ill and he had tonsillitis and pharyngitis, which I'm not sure what pharyngitis is, but it sounds bad. I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you. You're a teacher. You should know. Well, anything that ends in itis is usually pretty bad, right? So that's... that's <laughs> 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 that's a good that's a good you know, philosophy yeah and yeah, with I all agree. the kids these days we've got testitis right they, they get a lot of that mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, 100% this was uh, so Ringo got sick and they were about to go on a world tour and George Martin did some scrambling and he found someone to replace Ringo and who did he find so he found a guy named Jimmy Nichol and let me tell you for the record George Harrison was against it. He didn't want anyone to be playing. He thought that the Beatles were a John Paul George and Ringo. Well, he was outvoted, and Jimmy Nichol went on tour for 11 days, playing um, parts of Scandinavia and parts of Australia. Uh, Jimmy Nichol was a he, he was a session player, and in fact, he had just finished a session of doing Beatle cover versions for those. Um, you know, used to find those albums, songs made famous by. You find them in the bargain bins. Mm-hmm. Um, and he tried to, but here's a, you get the bell ready, okay? Okay. Get the bell ready. There's a song in Sgt. Pepper that was a direct result of Jimmy Nickel, which was during the 11 days, the John and Paul would say, how's it going, Jimmy? And he'd say, it's getting better. It's getting better all the time. Oh, my goodness. They, yeah, I'm ringing the bell right now. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> and part of the deal, part of the deal, and I'm, I'm really glad I could do this, part of the deal was, after the Beatles, he got a record contract with a band called Jimmy Nickel and the Shub Dubs. Terrible name. But he put out singles. And I actually found one of the singles on Spotify. And I put it on the on Spotify playlist so you can hear Jimmy Nickel solo. <laughs> it's it's not great, but it's fun. And uh, Tony, I'm proud to say that I own all of Jimmy Nickel's solo records. So well, you, you know go. what? It's a little piece of history, right? Getting that on the playlist. Sure. And imagine Agreed. that, Agreed. being a Beatle for... You know, uh, well, how many days was it? He, uh, 11. And 11 days, there, yeah. There's a great photo, contrasting photo, where he's landing in Australia. And I don't know if you know this, but when they landed in Australia, 600,000 people met them at the airport. 600,000, yeah. right? Met them. And the picture of him flying back to England, he's sitting in this airport, and there's not a soul around him. It's just him <laughs> sitting by himself. <laughs> It's such a sad photo. You're like, that's got to do something to your psyche, right? To be like, have 600,000 people welcome you to a country that you're sitting at an airport literally by yourself. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. What a great story for the grandkids, eh? (laughs) Yeah. He he later played in a a Russian-style band, a Russian rock and roll band called the Sputniks, which it's out there. It's part of the pun. It's a little it's, better title than the Shub Dubs, though, or whatever it well, was. The Shub Who came up with the Shub Dubs? Is there what? What are you, a Flintstone cover band? Like what is that? You know? I don't know. I don't know. But on that note, it is uh, time for us to head back home. Here we're at the end of the road trip. So, as usual, let's uh, give some credit where credit is due. Our music today was written by my pal Rick Denis, and uh, thanks, Rick, for providing the tunes. And all you listeners out there. Again, we say it every episode because we mean it. We are just so grateful for all that you do, right, Aaron? One hundred percent. We 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 couldn't do it without you, and we're 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 both really honored that, as you say, Tony, you let us into your earphones every week. Remember, if the man is getting you down and hassling you, just keep on rocking. We'll see you next week. <laughs>